verse 1. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Lovely. Thanks so much, Jill. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it encouraging to hear all those stories? I've got at work. God's doing some amazing things in our lives and church, and we just love to hear and to celebrate that and we ask that those stories would multiply and we'd see more people come and hear about Jesus and find faith in him. Um, but we're in a series at the moment called Encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel and we're going through a number of stories uh, where different groups of people or different individuals either come to Jesus or Jesus comes to them. And one of the things that you notice as you look at these stories is there's a really eclectic mix of people. Um, so it's a bit like one of those dreams that you might have in the summer when you've eaten too much cheese. And you have a dream where there's this teacher from your primary school, your best friend and a colleague at work all in the room together. Do you ever have those dreams? It's kind of like that in John's Gospel. You've got a real mix of people. Uh, last week, we uh, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus was the, uh, Nicodemus was the uh, Jewish leader, teacher of the law. Uh, you've got a story of Jesus and a Samaritan woman, complete other end of the social uh, spectrum. You've got the disciples of Jesus with their varied backgrounds. So it's a real mix of people and a real mixture of types of encounters. But one thing that marks them all out, one thing that unites them all, is that, that transformation takes place. When these people have an encounter with the love of God in Jesus, they can't help but be changed. Something happens in their 
hearts. And it's true for us. When we encounter Jesus, we can't help but be changed and transformed. And that's true for the person encountering Jesus for the first time. And you might have a revelation of God's love, of what he's done on the cross, the hope, new purpose in life. But that's also true for the person who's been walking with Jesus for many years, been a Christian for many years, but might have wandered off. And you have a fresh encounter with Jesus and you're brought back, you're changed in some way. And it's all about, in here, it's all about our hearts. And you know, our hearts are the most important thing about us. Proverbs 4.23, one of my life verses says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it or it is the wellspring of life as some translations put it. Everything that we do flows from the condition of our hearts, how our hearts are. And I just wonder if you ever have those days when um, you're just not kind of feeling it. You know, you wake up in the morning and it's a bit more of a good Lord, it's morning rather than a good morning Lord kind of day. Do you ever have those times? Maybe you're feeling a little bit irritable, you're feeling a bit down, just kind of out of sorts. You know that your heart isn't in a good place. The weight of life has toppled you over somewhat. Um, And I had one of those mornings this week. Um, It was Tuesday morning, in fact. And on that particular day, uh, the staff team here gathered with other staff teams of churches around the country at an event in central London. It's part of a network that we're part of, a church called KXC. And um, as I said, I I wasn't really feeling it. You know, I wasn't really feeling feeling of the joy of the Lord, as my family that morning probably could tell you. Um, But you know what? As... We went to that gathering. We spent time worshipping. We spent time in God's presence, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And at lunchtime, it was like I was a different person. And, you know, the difference was nothing overly complicated. It wasn't because there was a presentation that I'd seen. It wasn't because there was an incredible piece of communication from someone. The difference was that I'd spent time in the presence of Jesus. And when we spend time in the presence of Jesus, our hearts are changed. It's like through, as we go through life, we face different challenges. We look at the world, the reality of the world. Our hearts can become hard, like hard soil. And as we enter the presence of Jesus, we meet Jesus again. It's like the sun that comes on frozen soil and it begins to thaw and our hearts become soft again and we find new life bubble up within us. And I think this is one of those stories as we come to John 21. Last week, we were right at the beginning of John's gospel in John 3. This week, we're right at the end in John 21. So we're kind of bookended um, as we begin our series. But I love this story for many reasons, but mainly because it involves breakfast. Uh, Jesus makes breakfast for his disciples. And if that isn't love, I don't know what is. Uh, I absolutely love breakfast food. Anyone else here a fan of breakfast food? Uh, I'm that person, if you go away for, um, you need to stay in a hotel for a reason, I'm the person that goes back to the breakfast buffet multiple times. And I kind of want to plan it out. You know, you want to have your cereal, then you want to wait for like something hot, cook breakfast, then maybe pastries at the end. I just absolutely love it. Um, And so if you want to love a cooked breakfast, we'll do it just fine. But you know, food 
does that, doesn't it? Food communicates love. And many of the encounters that Jesus had with people in the Gospels is over a meal. It's over food. Meals are really important in the ministry of Jesus. If we look at John's Gospel alone, how does it start? Wedding at Cana starts with a meal. And how does it end with a meal? With Jesus cooking breakfast for his friends. If we fast forward to Revelation, John writes in Revelation, and one of the pictures that we get of our final destination in heaven is being at a meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb, this meal celebrating the relationship of Jesus and the church. One uh, author and pastor puts it like this, in the ministry of Jesus, meals enacted grace. The meals of Jesus represent a new world, a new kingdom, a new outlook. They aren't symbol alone. They are the real thing in miniature. There's something about being around the table, having food together, that is an invitation to intimacy and relationship, which is right at the heart of God. So as we come to the context of this passage, if you want to follow along, John 21, 1 to 12, and uh, Jesus' disciples were at a point where they needed to know the love of God afresh in their lives. They needed to know his grace. They needed to know that Jesus was still interested in them and that his promises over their lives still stood. Uh, We've just had the cross, and it was not the disciples' finest hour. Many of the disciples abandoned Jesus because they were scared at the cross. It was actually the female disciples that stuck with it. I find that so interesting. Um, And Peter, we might know, even denied knowing Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. And then we have the resurrection stories. And I I think there's probably a sense in which the disciples are trying to work out where they stand with Jesus. Jesus had appeared to them, but they were probably wondering, are we still part of the plan? Uh, Is it like before? Or is there this distance between us because of what we've done. Perhaps they were wondering if God, if Jesus could really want to use them. Does he not want to move on to someone else? Maybe I could just move into the peripheries, move into the background. And so that's what Peter does basically. And he gathers seven of the disciples around and he says, we're going fishing. We're going fishing. He goes off to his old way of life. And isn't that so true of us? When we feel like we've blown it, perhaps, in our faith. When we've made that mistake for the hundredth time. When we feel like we're trapped in habits that we know aren't right, but we just can't get free of when we make mistakes. Maybe we think, why would God really want to have anything to do with me? And so, even subconsciously, what we can do is we just drift away. We just put our minds to the everyday of life, uh, earning a living, uh, the, the chores, the jobs of every day, and we put the God stuff out of the picture for a while because it's just a bit too awkward and difficult to go there. And so our hearts become fun. And so the disciples, they've gone out fishing on Lake Galilee and we're told that they've caught nothing. They've caught nothing. And then Jesus comes onto the shore, and he's standing there. And in verse 4, he 
Sorry, in verse 5, he calls to them and he says, friends, and I love that. Just to burst through the bubble of any confusion of what Jesus might think of them, he starts off with friends. Maybe it reminds them of what he said in his ministry. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Jesus calls them friends. And he tells them to put their nets to the other side. And maybe at this point, the disciples are thinking, haven't we heard this somewhere before? Sound familiar? And maybe they remember that their calling when Jesus first called them on that same lake and the excitement all those years before. And Jesus said, come, follow me, that same miracle. But there's also a sense of probably foggy thinking, shame, doubt. And so uh, we read on in the story and we see that they obey. Maybe they think it's Jesus Maybe they just think we've got nothing else to lose, but they obey and they put their nets to the other side. And what happens? They're overwhelmed with their catch. And they're wrestling with the nets and the penny finally drops as they see the generosity of God, the grace of God enacted in this miracle in the fish in front of them. And I love this. Peter just doesn't care about the fish anymore. So he leaves the disciples to wrestle with the nets and he's off and he's in the, in the water and he just wants to be with Jesus. So he swims to the shore and as they get to the shore, there must have been this beautiful smell, this inviting smell of fish. Now, I have to say for me, Cook fish in the morning isn't really my cup of tea, but I'd imagine in first century kind of Palestine, maybe it was the equivalent of bacon and eggs, I don't know, but it must have been an amazing smell for the disciples, such an inviting moment. They were tired, they were cold, they were wet, and here was a hot breakfast in front of them. It reminds me in some ways of uh, a little trip that I uh, took a few years ago with my family camping. And we borrowed a tent, and um, we had a bit, of a, a bit of a disastrous night one night because um, although it was very kind of this friend to lend uh, us their tent, it had loads of leaks in, basically. And so it was chucking it down with rain, and our tent was getting flooded. It was me and my wife and uh, Tilly, who was three months at the time. And so throughout the night... I kind of basically played this game. I thought it was quite fun of moving, moving the Moses basket around the tent to avoid leaks coming on the baby. Uh, Lydia didn't think it was quite so fun for some reason, but um, we, we had this experience, and it was just a tiring night. And then in the morning, uh, the rain was still coming, and so we just had to bundle our stuff, chuck it in the car, try and keep it as dry as possible. And the friends that we went with had a caravan, and they said, come into the caravan and get warm. So we dried off, and they made us a cup of tea, and they had fresh bread uh, with jam on it. And it was just such a beautiful moment after such a tiring and stressful night just to be in the warm, a cup of tea and a piece of bread. And isn't it funny how so often a cup of tea can make things feel very different? But I think for the disciples, it must have felt a little bit like that, but better. Hot food after a rough night, but also they were now reunited with their friend, Jesus, and their hearts were moved. And I think this whole scene, this whole story can be summarized in that invitation of verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast. Come and have some breakfast 
Jesus is inviting them. Jesus is always inviting us to come. Come close. Don't stay back. Don't stay back in the, the margins, but come close. Come into relationship with me. That's the invitation of Jesus to all of us, wherever we might be in faith, whether we're just wondering about whether we're faced right for us, whether we're passionate for God, whether we're somewhere in between. Jesus is always saying, come, come closer. Come into relationship with me. So I just want to bring out a couple of points, two points really from that story this morning. And the first is this, this beautiful story of the grace of God in Jesus. The first is this, failure is never final. That's one of the things that we see. Failure is never final. This is really a story of forgiveness, forgiveness of Peter. And Jesus is doing it in the act of a meal. Uh, After this little story, we have the recommissioning of Peter, where Jesus says to Peter, do you love me three times and feed my sheep or feed my lambs? And at the start of this story, Peter had written himself off. He thought failure was final because of the mistake that he had made. And by the end of the story, he ends up fully restored in intimacy with Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, and recommissioned for the purposes of Jesus. I've been struck this week by um, all that's been going on in Asbury in Kentucky, the United States. I don't know if anyone's heard of what's been going on, but there's been a bit of a revival um, at that university. And um, just find my place in my notes. And um, it started back on the 8th of February, a Wednesday, and this is Christian University. And every day they have chapel. Um, and on that Wednesday, they had a gospel choir singing, and they had chapel in the morning, and um, the students went out, and there were 12 students left in this chapel, um, and they were clinging to the altar. And gradually, the gospel choir started to come back. Something compelled them to come back in the room, and they started to lead worship. And that worship just flowed and flowed and flowed, and people noticed there was something happening God's presence had come into that space in a particular way, a particularly uh, heavy way. And um, so people sent texts out and said, God's really doing something in this space. Come back. So all the students start to come back. And there's continual worship for hours and hours and hours. And it goes on through the night. And so you've got this kind of 24-hour worship thing going on. Students are gathering around and they're praying together. And and one of the main things they're doing is they're confessing their sins. They're getting right with God. And as this thing builds and builds and builds, it's still going on now. So it started a couple of weeks ago. People have got word of this revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's taking place. And so people are now um, traveling in to go and be in that space. And one of the things that I love is that it's totally led by students and they've protected it. So um, there's these mega church pastors, these mega church worship bands that are writing to these students saying, will you let us come and lead worship? Will you let us come and speak? And they're saying, nah, you're right, thanks. We'll do it. We'll, we'll, We'll cover it. And apparently the quality of worship's pretty terrible. The preaching's really poor. But the power and presence of God is there that actually I know a number of pastors that have flown into Kentucky just to go and be part of this revival. 
Uh, if you have heard of the Toronto Blessing, I guess it's something similar because they want to catch something of the presence of God. And we want to say in this church, yes, Lord, we want more of your power and presence. Come, Holy Spirit, we want more of that. But, you know, I was struck by the fact that it started in a place of confession, these 12 students wanting to get right with God at the altar. And, you know, Jesus wants us to know his forgiveness, just like Peter knew God's forgiveness. He wants us to know the filling of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know his purpose in our lives. Failure is never final. And yet so many of us walk around with a sense of shame or guilt or regret that inhabits us and stops us from walking fully into the things that God has for us. Truly embracing the presence of God, that beautiful place that our hearts are made for, but also then carrying that out into the world in love, bringing heaven not only on our hearts, but also into Cinderman Forest Hill. John writes, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Because of the cross, our shame and guilt is done with. We are a new people. We don't have to sulk around the edges like Peter, but we can step in to God's purposes for us. Jesus is like the bin man of the world. He takes away that shame and rubbish that we so often carry around, that thing, that niggling thing that we think, did I really do that? I can't believe I did that. It's completely ended. Failure is never final. There is fresh grace to receive. And then the second thing I want to highlight from this story is the fact that it's obedience that leads to abundance. It's obedience that leads to abundance. Jesus tells them to throw their nets to the other side. It doesn't make sense. A carpenter telling fishermen who've been fishing all night how to fish, but they did, and they were unable to haul in their nets. We're told that there were 153 large fish. Why 153 commentators have been racking their brains trying to understand what this number means? Is it it some sort of super symbolic number? If you divide it by seven and times it by four, you get the answer. No one really knows why 153, other than it's a very big number, and it speaks of the abundance of God's blessing. And it's actually a, Peter, a picture of Peter's ministry as he goes forward. Peter was the fisher of people, the fisher of men. And uh, as we look fo- forward in the story we see in the book of Acts, this come true. As, Jesus, as Peter walks sorry, in obedience to Jesus, we see thousands of people come to faith. We think of Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches, 2,000 people come to faith. So it's a picture of what's going to happen in Peter's ministry. It's an unsubtle picture for us of how life in the kingdom works. If we want to be fruitful for God, then ultimately it doesn't matter. It doesn't depend on our resources. As a church, it's not about how slick we are, but it's about how obedient we are, listening to the voice of God and following, even when sometimes it doesn't make sense. And, you know, there are hundreds of stories that, um, show this to be the case. Um, one famous story you might know, Jackie Pullinger at 22 years old, she bought a ticket for a boat around the world and asked God to tell her when to get off. 
She ended up getting off in Hong Kong. She had a hundred Hong Kong dollars to her name and no job. It doesn't make sense. But she stepped out in obedience and she ended up setting up a drug rehab center in the walled city. And she saw lives transformed in the most incredible way. 50 years on, she is still there. That is a huge catch of fish. And it's amazing what she does, what that ministry does. They pray for people to come off heroin in the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't use medication. Uh, the program is so successful, it's endorsed by the Chinese government, who don't have a track record of endorsing faith-based projects, as you might imagine. It's just one of many examples. Is when we hear the voice of God, if we step out in obedience, then fruit and abundance comes we want to see God's abundance here in Sydenham and Forest Hill and Southeast London, in our workplaces, on our streets, if we want to see the kingdom come, then it starts with that place of hearing God's voice and obedience. And so if we want to follow God, if we want to hear his voice, then one of the, the main ways that God speaks to us today is through scripture and spirit. And, um, you know, often people say, I want to hear God's voice. How can I hear God's voice more? The best way to start hearing God's voice is through reading a little bit of Scripture each day. If we're not reading Scripture each day and we want to hear God's voice, it's a bit like waiting for a phone call but having our mobiles turned off. And so if you want a resource to help you with that, the resource that we use here is called Bread. It's just got a little bit of Scripture each day, a psalm and a a few verses from the Gospels. It allows us to meet with God and to seek to hear his voice each day. So I just want to finish with this question. How is your heart this morning? How are things between you and God? Are you carrying anything that is getting in the way of stepping fully into God's presence, to taking hold of that invitation to your relationship, to stepping forward in the purposes that God has for you? Are you carrying anything? that God wants you to hand over this morning, a sense of failure, shame, guilt, regret. And what might God be asking you to do this morning? What is the voice of God saying to you? What does it look like to walk in obedience? Jesus says, come to me. Come and have breakfast. Amen. Why don't we stand together?